So we're going to be reading the entirety of 2 Kings chapter 1 tonight. We're going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to read it in three parts at different points in the sermon. We'll start right now by reading the first six verses of 2 Kings chapter 1. The first six verses. After Ahab's death, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, Go and, cons- go and consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going off to consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So Elijah went. When the messengers returned to the king, he asked them, Why have you come back? A man came to meet us, they replied, and he said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and tell him, This is what the Lord says. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending men to consult Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, you will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. This is God's holy and infallible word for us, his people. There's this series of kids' books called Choose Your Own Adventure. And when you read page one of those books, when you get to the bottom of the page, it says, you know, if you choose to do this particular action, action A, turn to page five. If you choose to do action B, turn to page 42. And then you turn to the next page or whatever page your choice tells you to. You read that page, you get to the bottom, it gives you another choice. If you want to take action A, turn to this page. If you want to take action B, Go to this page, and depending on the choices you make, you bounce around throughout the book until you get to one of the five or six endings that those books usually had. And the choices you made along the way determined how the story went. The stories weren't usually all that creative. This isn't great literature we're talking about. But what made them interesting was that you got to determine how the story went. And you could trace out where different choices led and how that affected the destinies of the different characters. You could go backward and forward and see how different decisions played out. And with the passage that we're reading from 2 Kings tonight, I want us to be thinking about how the different choices that characters made played out. What choices were they faced with? What decisions did they make? What could they have done differently? And then what does 2 Kings want us as readers to do in response to how we see the characters in the story make choices? So in this first section, King Ahaziah is the main character. And the key point of this section is that the Lord sends his word to wayward King Ahaziah. Now Ahaziah is King Ahab's son, and he's been following in Ahab's footsteps. The end of 1 Kings, the book before the book that we read for tonight, tells us that Ahaziah was serving Baal and continually, continually provoking the Lord to anger. Ahaziah was being another disobedient king. And now here at the beginning of 2 Kings, Ahaziah takes a bad fall. We're not quite sure what it was like. Maybe he went through a window or through a lattice or something, but he had some pretty serious injuries. 
And so he sends messengers to Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to see if he will recover from these injuries or not. And you notice this is an Israelite king, supposedly one of God's people, and he's sending a messenger out to Baal, to Ekron, which was a Philistine town, to find out what's going to happen to him. But then in verse 3, the Lord steps into the narrative and he takes over. The angel of the Lord goes to Elijah and gives him a message to take to Ahaziah's messengers. And Elijah goes, he finds Ahaziah's people on their way, he gives them the Lord's message. Even though Ahaziah hadn't sent any messengers to the Lord, the Lord answered his question. And quietly, subtly, the text is mocking Baal here. Baalzebub might be a term you've heard before, but it literally means Lord of the Flies. Baalzebub, the fly god, the god of nothing. But that's not actually what the people of Ekron would have called him. That's probably not what Ahaziah would actually have called this god. They probably would have called him Baalzebul. Baalzebul means Baal is prince. Baalzebub means Baal is lord of the flies. But the text changes up that letter. So even in how it presents this god, it's mocking him. It's saying the Israelite king is sending, he's sending messengers to the god of flies, to the god of nothing, to the lord of refuse. And then this god gets upstaged by the lord. Baal doesn't even give a chance to answer Ahaziah before the lord steps in and says, this is the answer to your question. So the text is whispering to us already at this point, Baal isn't really much of a god compared to the Lord. Now is he? And so Ahaziah's messengers get the message and they go back. And you expect that Ahaziah would have wondered how they came back so fast. So he asked, why are you back? And then the messengers repeat Elijah's message to the king. And it's obviously not the answer he wanted to hear. He wanted to hear that he was going to recover and live a long life and all of that. But instead he gets a message of judgment and destruction. And the message is that because Ahaziah has run after the wrong God, he is going to die. And it's significant that in these first six verses, that judgment is repeated twice. The messengers could, or the text could just say the messengers repeated Elijah's message, but then they go on and they actually, in the text, have those words repeated. The text really wants us as readers to hear these words. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going off to consult Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. The text wants us as readers very clearly to hear this judgment passed on the king of Israel. Because Ahaziah has run after other gods, he's going to die right in the bed he's laying in. His unfaithfulness is going to have immediate and drastic consequences. And so that's it, right? Well, yes and no. There's a pattern in the Old Testament prophecies that when God uses a declaration of judgment, often when God sends a message to someone bringing some news of terrible calamity that's coming, what it really is is a call to repentance. Declarations of destruction or judgment are often calls to repentance. 
when God's people go and they tell God's people, judgment is coming, there's usually a note of grace even in those terrible judgments that they bring. And that note of grace is that judgment is coming, but it hasn't come yet. So maybe there's hope. So now the question. The question that this text wants us to hear, the question that the text wants us to reflect on is what will Ahaziah do? What choice is he going to make? Which adventure will he choose? Will he be like his parents? Will he be like Ahab and Jezebel? Ahab and Jezebel, who even though Elijah confronted them again and again and again. Ahab and Jezebel, even though they saw evidence before their eyes that Baal was nothing compared to the Lord, Ahab and Jezebel who kept on fighting and fighting and fighting against the Lord God. So Ahaziah might respond like that. But he might also respond in a different way. In another part of the Bible, in the Old Testament, we see the prophet Nathan going to King David and telling him, you have done wrong. And then David repents. And there's a time later in the Old Testament when the prophet Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh and he tells them, judgment is coming. And all of the Ninevites, from the king on down, all of them repent and turn away from their evil ways. So now the question is, what is Ahaziah going to do? Is he going to repent and follow the Lord? Or is he going to hold on to his own ways and follow Baal down to death and destruction? Is he going to follow the Lord and find life or follow Baal and find death? And in a little different form, that's a question for all people in all times and all places. It's even a question for us here today. Always in our lives, always in our lives, there is a broad way and there is a narrow way. And the broad way often looks pretty attractive. It looks easier, more convenient, quicker, somehow or other more attractive than the narrow way. There's always a message that's more palatable than what the Word of God has to tell us. So it's worth asking ourselves, if we hear messages from God's Word that we don't like, what are we going to do? If the Word of God really challenges what we want to do in our lives, are we going to keep listening? If the word of the Lord comes to us and tells us what you are doing are wrong and the path you are on is not the right path, if God's word gets in the way of our desires, are our desires or God's word going to win in our lives? Now, I know on some level the fact that you're here tonight says that if I asked you that question personally, you'd say, well, of course. Of course, if God's word told me to do something differently, I'd change. And that's a wonderful attitude to have, and we are blessed if we have it. But I think even as God's people, we still need to ask, is that really true? Is it really true that if God's word told you to change something in your life, that you would act on the call of God's word? Now, I know that's kind of an abstract question if we don't put a particular issue with it, but I think it's good for us to ask this in the big picture. If God's word comes to us and it challenges us, if God's word comes to us and says something that we don't like, what are we going to do? 
Are we going to say, well, I can't follow a God like that? Are we going to say, well, that particular text, that only applies back then. It can't apply to us anymore. Are we going to push the conviction aside? Are we going to bury the call? Or are we going to humble ourselves before God's word and repent and do what God calls us to do? Which choice will we make? Which adventure will you choose? It's a tough question. I hope it's one that we find convicting because the world always, always has a different way for us to go. There are always pressures, even within the church, that want us to do something different. And so we need to ask ourselves, where is our true allegiance? When push comes to shove, which way are we going to go? Now to see which way Ahaziah went, we'll keep reading. We're going to read verses 7 to 12 from 2 Kings now. And King Ahaziah asked them, this is his messengers, What kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? They replied, He was a man with a garment of hair and with a leather belt around his waist. And the king said, That was Elijah the Tishbite. Then he sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. The captain went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and said to him, Man of God, the king says, Come down. Elijah answered the captain, If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. And at this, the king sent to Elijah another captain with his 50 men. The captain said to him, man of God, this is what the king says. Come down at once. If I am a man of God, Elijah replied, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And then the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. So Ahaziah doesn't respond very well to the word of the Lord. In fact, he responds by trying to do away with the messenger of the Lord. There's an older Will Smith movie called, I think, Enemy of the State. And in that movie, Will Smith is a union lawyer, and he goes to this mafia boss at his family restaurant, his headquarters, and he shows this guy a videotape that shows the mafia guy breaking the terms of his parole. He's not supposed to hang out with important political people. He's not supposed to exert political power. And this is a videotape of the mafia guy partying it up at the house of the governor or someone like that. And Smith shows the guy the video and then tells him, this is what you're going to do where this video is going public. You're going to do this, you're going to do that, you're going to back off this. And the mafia guy, predictably, doesn't respond very well. He's not interested in making things right. He has no interest in listening to what Smith has to tell him. He just wants to get all the copies of the videotape and destroy them. He goes after Smith. He says, who made the tape? Do you have other copies? Who made the tape? And then he threatens to kill this lawyer who's come here thinking he's going to get this mafia guy to do what he wants. Fat chance. So the mafia guy takes the video and he throws Smith out and he tells him, don't come back until you've got all the copies. We're, we're going to deal with this. Ahaziah is sort of the Old Testament mafia guy here. When he hears the Lord's judgment, it doesn't even seem to cross his mind that he should change what he's doing. 
Instead, he wants to figure out who this messenger is and destroy him. Ahaziah is probably thinking that if he can get his hands on Elijah, he can get Elijah to take back the prophecy. And if Elijah won't take back the prophecy, maybe if Elijah gets killed, the prophecy will get undone. If Ahaziah threatens the prophet enough, maybe he'll take it back. If Ahaziah kills the prophet, maybe that'll do away with the doom that's been pronounced on him. So Ahaziah decides instead of responding to God's word, he's going to go after God's prophet and try to undo God's word. So he sends out a captain and his 50 men, and the captain goes and he tells Elijah, come down, and the word of the Lord acts, and fire destroys the captain and his 50 men. And then another captain comes, and this one apparently wasn't a very quick learner, and he gets even more in Elijah's face, and he says, the king says, come down quickly. And instead of Elijah coming down, fire comes down, and the captain and all of his men are destroyed. Both of those captains went out with, a, with Ahaziah's spirit. They were a threat to Elijah. They wanted to destroy him. They wanted to undo the word of the Lord. They thought that the power of the king was greater than the power of the Lord. King Ahaziah and his first two captains here are showing what they really believe. And what they really believe is that they have power over the Lord. But the story in these verses makes it pretty graphically clear that they don't. The Lord wipes out the captains and their companies. He undoes Ahaziah's great scheme to get back in control of his life. Those who try to attack the Lord's prophet Elijah, and by doing that, ultimately to attack the word of the Lord that he sent, well, they end in destruction. The Lord destroys the wicked. Judgment comes down on people who try to fight the word of the Lord. When people pursue other allegiances, they end up paying a heavy price. They end up paying everything. There are always consequences for sin, and there is no way, no way to undercut or undo God's plans. There's this old science fiction story called Paycheck that was made, in, made into a movie too a few years ago. And in that movie, this guy, Jennings, he's a brilliant inventor. And he takes on this contract to make a machine that lets you see the future, not travel to the future, but see the future. And then after two years of working on it, he wakes up and his memory has been erased by the company he works for. So suspend your disbelief in time travel and memory wiping technologies for the sake of the story. But before his memory got wiped out, Jennings used the machine to look at the future. And what he saw was that both his company and the government were going to try to kill him for inventing this machine. So he wrecks the machine, and before he does that, he figures out this plan that he sends himself an envelope full of meaningless little things, a bus token, a paperclip, a coin, sunglasses, little nothings. But then every time he gets in trouble, one of the things in that package gets him out of the trouble. He gets arrested by the police and somehow a paperclip lets him break out. He walks out and he has a bus token to get on the bus that's going by so he can disappear before they catch him. And throughout the story, again and again, these innocent little things undo all the plans of the secret government police and this huge multi-billion dollar corporation. 
Jennings has a plan, and everything that everybody else does just plays into him getting to the ending he wants to get to. Every attempt to destroy him just works out to his advantage, and he wins in the end. Now, that's just a tiny, tiny, tiny little analog to what the Lord does. The Lord knows everything. The Lord has all power, and there is nothing that can undo his plan or his word. In 2 Kings here, Ahaziah does everything he can to undo the word of the Lord, and he accomplishes precisely nothing. All of his schemes and his attempts to exert power get him nowhere. And ultimately, that's how it always works with evil. It can twist and bend and fight and scheme, but it can't undo God's purpose. We listened to a lot of kids' music on our vacation the last couple weeks, and there's this one particular song that's stuck with me this week, so you get to hear it too now. I'd sing it, but you'd all cover your ears. But here's how it goes. You can't stop a train by standing in its tracks. You can't stop an avalanche by yelling, hey, turn back. Standing in the way of what God is going to do will be really, really, really not so good for you. Standing in the way of what God is going to do will be really, really, really not so good for you. That came from our back seat about a thousand times last week, so it really got in my head a couple weeks ago, I guess. But when people try to take on the Lord, things don't go well for them. So that's a challenge for us to make sure that we really are following the Lord. Are we really doing what God wants us to do? Or are we trying to push and kick and work his plan according to our plan? It's maybe also an encouragement to us that even when we see the world going wrong, even when we see terrible things happening, in the end, God works things out. It's not a wise thing to try to take on the Lord. It's not a wise thing to try to undo the Lord's messages. We don't win those battles. But when we're on God's side, when we trust in his word, then we can have confidence that he will work things out. So let's read our last few verses for tonight. So 2 Kings 1, we'll read verses 13 to 18. So the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. This third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he begged, please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all their men. But now have respect for my life. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went down with him to the king. He told the king, this is what the Lord says. Is it because there is no God in Israel for you to consult that you have sent messengers to consult Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Because Ahaziah had no son, Joram succeeded him as king in the second year of Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And as for all the other events of Ahaziah's reign and what he did, are they not written in the books of the annals of the kings of Israel? 
in these final verses, the Lord accomplishes his word for destruction and for deliverance. After the first two captains are just wiped out, King Ahaziah sends a third group of soldiers. And this third captain comes, and he recognizes the real dynamics of the situation. He doesn't come up with demands based on the authority of the king. He doesn't say, you've got to do this. He recognizes that the Lord has true power in this situation. And so instead of yelling at Elijah to come down, he goes and he begs for the Lord to have mercy. He doesn't put the king's power up against the Lord because he knows who will win. Instead, he approaches with humility and he asks for mercy. And then he and his men are delivered. The captain's humility led to his salvation. And when this third captain comes to Elijah, the angel of the Lord tells Elijah to go with him. And Elijah goes with him. Elijah finally goes to meet King Ahaziah, but he doesn't go under threat. He doesn't go as a prisoner. He doesn't go with the king having any power left in this situation. Elijah goes as God's messenger. You can argue he has a little bit of an honor guard from the king, but he goes with the power of the Lord. And it is entirely clear who has the power in this situation. And then then in verse 16, Elijah again gives Ahaziah the message that we've heard twice before in this chapter. And this is basically the message that Elijah has been bringing for his whole prophetic career. It is foolish and wrong-headed to follow other gods. Only the Lord, only the Lord is God, and only his prophets have the true word. The word of the Lord doesn't change. Ahaziah can fight it, he can scheme against it, he can try to get rid of it, but none of that does any good. The message is the message. And the key part of that message is that the Lord is God and Baal is not. That's really what Ahaziah needs to hear. The declaration of judgment is, I think, almost a secondary thing here. The point isn't that Ahaziah is going to face judgment. The point is that the Lord is God. But Ahaziah doesn't get it. And so he experiences the destruction of God's judgment on those who turn away from him. Verse 17 just tells us, So Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Now Ahaziah's fate and the fate of his captains is a hint at the fate of everybody. Everybody. People who pursue other gods people who set themselves up against the Lord, people who try to do away with the word of the Lord, they end up in destruction. And people who come before the Lord with humility, people who devote themselves to God's word, people who plead for mercy, they get delivered. This text puts before the reader, puts before us the choice between destruction and deliverance. When people arrogantly pursue other allegiances, the Lord ultimately consigns them to destruction. When people humble themselves before the Lord, the Lord is gracious to save them. And this all works ultimately because Jesus went through the fire for us. Even Elijah and the third captain here in 2 Kings aren't really heroes. We've seen through the last few months, there's some times that Elijah really drops the prophetic ball. He just doesn't get it. 
And I think you could safely say any captain in the army of a king like Ahaziah would not be entirely blameless, shall we say. Everyone in this story, everyone in the world deserves destruction. But Jesus took it for us. In this story, when the soldiers come for Elijah, God keeps him safe and they can't touch him. But in Jesus' story, when the soldiers came for him, God kept him safe for several years, but then the time came in the Garden of Gethsemane when the soldiers came and Jesus let himself be taken away. At any point, he could have called down fire from heaven and destroyed all of his enemies, but instead for us, Jesus let himself be questioned, beaten, killed. For us, Jesus went through the fire that we deserve. Jesus suffered so that we don't have to. This story in 2 Kings gives us a little bit of a window into how God perpetually takes care of his people. In our lives, we don't always see the fire from heaven come on our timeline. But this story tells us what the true end of the story is. And this story encourages us to keep following the Lord even in hard times, because at the end, at the end, the Lord will destroy those who don't follow him and he'll deliver those who do. So even when things don't seem to be going quite the right way, we're called to keep serving the Lord, keep trusting his plan, because the Lord's plans always come true in the end. Whatever choices people make along the way, it is the Lord who determines the end of the story. There are no human schemes, no acts of a king, nothing that anybody can do that undoes God's scheme. There is no God but the Lord, and the Lord accomplishes his word for destruction and deliverance. The Lord accomplishes what he will accomplish. His word stands forever, so don't fight it. Depend on it and depend on the Lord.